Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Good morning. My name is Johnny Williams. Um, I'm on staff here at the Vineyard, and I get to read our scripture for this morning. So uh, I'm actually going to scoot to this side so you can see the screen. Um, It's going to be in Isaiah 60, if you want to follow along on your device, or the words will be on the screen. Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come into your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands, and your daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine, and your heart will thrill with joy. For merchants from around the world will come to you. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. I will exchange your bronze for gold, your iron for silver, your wood for bronze, and your stones for iron. I will make peace your leader and righteousness your ruler. Violence will disappear from your land. The desolation of your destruction and the war will end. Salvation will surround you like city walls and praise will be on the lips of all who enter there. No longer will you need the sun to shine by day nor the moon to give its light by night, for the Lord your God will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set, your moon will never go down, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning will come to an end. All your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever, for I will plant them there with my own hands in order to bring myself glory. The smallest family will become a thousand people, and the tiniest group will become a mighty nation. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Uh, Jesus, thank you for this room. I uh, missed it. I'm thankful that you are with us. We believe that. So I just pray over these next few minutes uh, that you would... We believe that you're near. Ask that you feel near, that we feel your presence, that we experience you, that you'd wake us up to what you're doing here. Uh, I thank you for these people who are precious to me and precious to this place. And um, yeah, I just ask you to talk to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, I've, I really have missed you. Um, Two weeks off was too many, I think. One week off is perfect. I love, like, Sabbath Sundays. One week was great. Two weeks, I was like, oh, I kind of miss my people a lot. Um, But it was really good for us. I don't know, if you were here Christmas Eve, then you heard uh, when we said we would take the next two Sundays off, one of my children hoot and holler because he was very excited to have two weeks off, which is every mother and pastor's dream come true uh, to hear, we're not going to be here two weeks, and your own child be like, yes! Yes! 
But what it was for me was a sign that my family needed to rest, and we did. So thank you. Uh, it was, it was a, a gift, but it's really good to be back in the same place today. Um, I want to make an addendum to one of uh, Chad's announcements. I'm going to disagree with him publicly, but he's moving to Atlanta in a couple months. So uh, I, he's also mad at me in the back. Um, but he said if something changed in your information for you to fill out an info card, and I would like to change that to if you are in this room, will you please fill out an info card? I don't care if your address hasn't changed or your phone number hasn't changed or your email address, just if you are, if you can write, that's the age. If you are able, like Owen does not have to fill out an info card, he can't write yet. But if you can write, will you fill out an info card, drop it in the offering box uh, on your way out? That would be amazing because we really are updating all of our systems. Thank you. You gave me a thumbs up. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, he's not mad at me. Um, uh, okay, so let's jump in. Um, today, really, I just, uh, we're going to start the year with some teaching, explaining uh, about why we do some of the things that we do here at Springbrook in this room and, and on this stage. And, and part of the reason for that is that um, as a church, as in like the whole church, we are moving into a new season uh, this week called Epiphany. And officially speaking, um, the Feast of Epiphany was actually Friday. So those of you who are Catholic in the room, you finally got to call your mom and say, yeah, we just took our tree down. Um, And you've been lying to her, I'm sure. Uh, not looking at anyone in particular. Um, but so while uh, the Feast of Epiphany was officially on Friday, the season um, of Epiphany or the Sundays after Epiphany will be from now until the end of February. That will be the season that we're in. At the end of February, Lent begins and it's a, a new season. Um, here at Springbrook, we follow the liturgical church calendar. And so uh, I know we talked about this some at Advent, but I just wanted to talk a little bit today about what it means to follow the church calendar and why we do it um, and why that matters for us. Um, the church calendar, it started around the third century as essentially just a way to set aside Sundays as sort of like a universal uh, celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Sundays as a universal day of worship uh, became a thing around the third century. Um, but it evolved, this calendar, over time, uh, birthing a system of seasons and a system of rhythms for the church all over the world to follow together, a way to unify uh, the people of God all together. Um, And so the seasons that we follow alongside many different kinds of churches all over the world are Advent and then uh, Christmas tide. Christmas is actually 12 days in the church calendar. Uh, So you're welcome for some extra days if you grew up in maybe like an evangelical, not high church sense. Um, After Christmas tide is Epiphany, uh, Lent, Holy Week, Eastertide, and then we move into Pentecost for the rest of the year. And the way it's structured um, is that during the seasons for the first half of the year, the church stays focused pretty consistently on Jesus, on his uh, birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And then for the second half of the year, from Pentecost on, um, is, is this intentional focus and rhythm on the mission of the church in the world. Essentially, uh, we start the first half of the year with who is Jesus, and the second half of the year with why does it matter that we follow him and how do we follow him as a church. So, um, so that's what we follow here at Springbrook. So why do we do this calendar why does it matter? Why am I spending a whole Sunday talking about it? Um, the, the point of the church calendar is to, to do this thing where it um, connects our bodies and our days with the movement of God in our lives. 
It, it is a connecting piece. The calendar, it acts like train tracks taking us to the places that God has been taking his people since the very beginning of time. Uh, it takes us into seasons of anticipation, like Advent, the season we just came out of, or, or seasons of introspection, like Lent, or celebration, like Easter, or seasons of revelation, like Epiphany and Pentecost. Uh, I've said this before, but I, I think that the church calendar exists uh, in our lives, sort of like the back line of the band. It is the Chris Campbell and Andrew Cochran of the church. Um, the back line of a band, it offers like a low hum and a rhythm uh, to the music of our lives. And the calendar does this for our souls. It offers like a low hum, a rhythm, train tracks in order for us to run on. Uh, there are lots of reasons that I think um, uh, committing to consistently attending church matters. Uh, uh, it matters for community, for learning, to serve, like so many reasons. Um, but I would argue there's another really big one. Um, because the truth is you may show up here on Sundays and you may not learn anything some weeks. Um, you may show up and not feel connected. You may uh, show up and, and not serve or things like that. But, but sometimes coming to church is as simple as, as faith learning how to faithfully show up and learn the rhythms of the Spirit of God alongside other people, to follow the seasons and rhythms that God has been taking his people to since the very beginning of time. Some days, or some Sundays coming to church is that simple. It's as simple as connecting your body to the place that God put in the world as a practice field uh, for what our lives are supposed to look like outside of this room. We say that a lot when we, when we pass the peace, that we want to practice in this room who we actually want to be outside of this room. And I would argue that learning the rhythms of anticipation and the rhythms of introspection and the rhythms of revelation and celebration, these things, they are vital uh, to life in the way of Jesus. And I think it's important to have uh, a place to experience those things and those rhythms with other people, alongside other people. So today, we're moving out of a season of anticipation and into um, an, an introspection of Advent and into uh, the continuing revelation of Epiphany. So if Epiphany is a brand new word for you, um, it, it literally just means shining through. Uh, it is a season of fresh thoughts, of fresh insights into uh, who Jesus the Christ is, who is the Word of God made flesh in the world. We talked about it at Christmas Eve. Uh, it's a season of revelation, the shining through of the glory of God through his son, Jesus. Uh, Epiphany is intentionally and on purpose us turning our eyes in a fresh way to who Jesus is. It's a season where we as the church should look at familiar stories, things we've maybe heard a lot in our lives, and look at them from a new angle, from a different angle, with fresh eyes, a fresh way of seeing them. Uh, the definition of epiphany is this. It is a look at the manifest glories of God. Sorry. It is a look at the manifest glories of Christ's divinity through his humanity. That's very wordy. Here's what I mean. Uh, the manifest glory of God is just a, a very churchy sounding phrase for the presence of God display in the world. Uh, I.e. Jesus, who is himself the glory of God on display in the world. Jesus, God's glory in human form. That is what the season of Epiphany is, is looking for the glory of God in the world. Or as our text today that Johnny just read uh, says for us, the light for all to see, the glory of the Lord rising to shine over all of the world and appear to everyone of all nations. Essentially, Epiphany is how the joy of Christmas comes to life. 
It's about looking at things with a new angle. Uh, I want to read a quote from a lady named Elsa Cheney who wrote um, about Epiphany in the 1950s for a, this obscure Catholic magazine. I was like reading this article and it referenced this and I don't know, I just felt, I can't find anything else about this lady. So she may be a lunatic, but this article is great. Um, <laughs> she says this, she's talking about the Feast of Epiphany, but we're going to kind of see it as the season. Uh, Misty, I think I have a slide for it. She says this, she says, unless we realize the significance of this great day or this season, we only see one side of the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of Jesus being born. Now, after contemplating the staggering fact that God has become a human child, we turn and look at this mystery from the opposite angle, and we realize that this seemingly helpless child is, in fact, the omnipotent God, the king, the ruler of all the universe. The feast of Christ's divinity completes the feast of his humanity. It fulfills all of our Advent longing for a king who has come with great power and great majesty. What Ms. Cheney is saying is that for uh, all of our text in Isaiah that Johnny just read to become true, uh, the manifest glory of God, the presence of God uh, must come to earth in Jesus, who is like us. But when we look at him from another angle, is also like God. His presence in the world, it's like a light. It's, it's a feast full of a, of a perfect mix of the stuff of heaven and the stuff of earth all together. A lot of times during Epiphany, there are three stories that are kind of associated with this season um, for the church. One of them we're going to look at really closely next week. Um, but they're this. Uh, one is the visit of the wise men from the east. Uh, the other is the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. And then the third is the first miracle of Jesus, the water becoming wine. And historically, the church has reflected on these three stories as a way to launch us into this season of Epiphany, the season of manifest glory. Uh, the manifestation of God's presence and power in our world, our ordinary lives. Uh, and so I'm a little biased, but in my mind, Epiphany is a very vineyard church season. Because in the vineyard, what we say that we love is the presence and the power of the kingdom of God in our world. Where we live, where we work, where we learn, where we play, the kingdom of God shining through into the world. And so for us as a church, that's like our bread and butter. It's the thing we believe most. And so these three epiphany stories, they, they, they tell us about how this came to be, how God's presence spread into the world through Jesus. And they're all really different. Uh, there's the story of the wise men, which is a story about kings um, coming from the east and, and the accepting of the outsider. It's, there's the baptism of Jesus, which is this really specific moment. And then there's this wedding party. Uh, and they're all really different, but they all have this common theme, this epiphany theme in them. Because every single one of these stories has this element of uh, transformation. They all have these, these major changes, these transforming changes. Uh, the wise men, they come, they meet Jesus uh, as a child. And when they meet him, their experience with him changes their course completely. They go home by another way. Uh, the, there's the baptism of Jesus. He, he leaves his baptism and he heads into the wilderness where he, this quiet life that he had led for 30 years completely transforms into a public life and a public ministry. Uh, if you read the story of Jesus' baptism, he goes into the water, and when he comes up, Matthew, in his uh, telling of the story in his gospel, says that the whole sky changes. That, that, that 
the Holy Spirit ascends onto the land like a dove and that the people hear the audible voice of God for the first time in 400 years. And he, he, he speaks over Jesus, his love and his pleasure and his delight, and he pours out on him his spirit. And then uh, at the wedding, uh, this, this ordinary water, water that was used to wash feet, gets transformed into the best wine. You could also argue that it is a wedding reception that's about to be terrible that Jesus transforms into a real, active, alive party. Epiphany stories are stories of incredible transformation. Uh, in Catholic households, uh, it's customary that at an Epiphany celebration, you would open a few presents. Basically, uh, parents, there's like the Christmas Day madness where everybody opens all the presents, and then parents would keep back a couple of gifts. And then after the 12 days of Christmas ends at an Epiphany dinner, they would give a few of the remaining gifts and let kids open gifts on Epiphany. And um, I was reading about this practice this week and thinking about these stories of transformation. And I just, and I was like praying for our church and what the next year looks like. And I just really feel like the Holy Spirit wants to offer us a gift of transformation. That he wants to offer uh, us, I don't know, I just feel, I feel so hopeful about this and so sure about this. That, that I just think the Spirit wants to use stories that maybe if you've been around church in your life, you've heard a ton growing up in order uh, to form our souls and transform us in a way that gives back uh, to the world, that we get to deposit back into our city. Uh, the thing that I believe most about Jesus is that he doesn't just like work on us and work on our lives and then it ends there. He forms us, he transforms us, and then he sends us back into the community. Uh, I think I said this maybe last semester, I can't remember, but uh, I read this thing and it, and it has bothered me. It like still rattles inside me and it's, it was just, this, I think it was on Twitter, I don't know. But it said, if your church didn't exist anymore, would your town even notice? And I was like, oh, like I don't, I don't want to be that way. Like I, I want our city to know we exist because we help transform it. And so I think that's, that's our work this year is that as God forms us and transforms us, he does that to deposit us back into the places we live and back into the places we learn and back into the places we play and work and all of those things. Uh, that, that we become the proof of God's manifest glory. We become the proof of his power and his presence into the world that came to us on Christmas morning. Uh, one of my personal favorite theologians is a guy named Howard Thurman. Anybody know him? Um, he was an educator and a theologian and a civil rights leader. Um, he wrote a book called Jesus and the Disinherited that is one of, like, it's a, it's a must-read, top five of my, I try to read it every year. I love it. Um, I actually heard Martin Luther King Jr. carried it in his pocket all of the time. Um, it's so, so good. Uh, but I want to read a poem that he wrote that was just really striking to me this week. Um, I think I have a slide for it too, Misty. Uh, it's called The Work of Christmas. He says this. He says, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, and to make music in the heart. I love that. When, when all of the stuff of Christmas starts to be taken down, then the work of Christmas begins. And what is our work as God uses these stories to transform our soul? What is our work? To find the lost, 
to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoners, to rebuild the nations, and to bring peace among all people, and to make music in our hearts. This epiphany season, my hope is that as the light shines through, we would see the power and presence of God's kingdom in us and that what we see and hear and experience would transform us in our souls and make us into people glad to do the work of Christmas in the places where we live and work and play and learn. Uh, every week here, we do something we call Selah, um, and it's just like this holy, quiet pause, and I just want to talk about Selah just a bit. I said we we're going to talk about why we do stuff we do. Um, and here's why we do Selah uh, every week. It's this really, really intentional thing for us. And the reason for that is because uh, the worst thing that I can imagine is uh, the sermon becoming like the one and only teaching point on a Sunday morning. I think a lot of churches um, are, are, do that. And, and that's kind of one of the, the pitfalls that I think churches fall into. Um, but uh, there are a few reasons why I'm afraid of the sermon becoming the only teaching point on a Sunday morning. Uh, the first one is I know me and some of you know me. <laughs> and that's why you laugh, right? Like the idea that I would be an expert on anything other than how to eat really good in New York City and Ferrari Formula One is absurd. Also, I'm not an expert in either one of those. I just believe myself to be. So um, that, that is insane to me. Like I, I, I don't, I cannot live up to and do not want that pressure, like, I can't do it. You don't come here because I'm an expert. And the second reason is this. I believe in the manifest glory of God. Like, I believe in the power and presence of God. I actually really think it's real. And I believe that he's with us. And I believe that he teaches us and that through him we have access to everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did. And so that means that I, like, believe, believe, believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking all the time, and that he's drawing us in, and that he's, he's forming us, he's taking care of our insides, and he's taking care of our world, and, and I think that that, or I don't think, I believe that that means that you have the ability to hear the voice of God, all of us, every single person in this room, and so we structure our services to experience that, that presence and, and power of God and the Spirit in loads of different ways. Uh, we do it by singing. We, we, we do it in worship. We had three people on a stage, and it was like, whew. And then sometimes Hitch plays that thing on his lap that I can't pronounce. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like presence and power. It's amazing. It's why we read prayers all together. It's, it's why we read scripture all together. And then after I talk for a while, we take a minute every single Sunday to practice, to create space for all of us to open up our souls to the move of God that I think is real and I think is active. Selah is, I believe, one of the most important things that we do on a Sunday morning. Because if we want to learn how to do the work of Christmas, we have to create space for the formation of our souls. Every ounce of research is saying it. Like anything that you read about how to uh, relieve anxiety, how to become a better person, how to anything out in the world is saying, take a minute and be quiet and meditate and breathe and be open. And I believe that it matters that we do that on a Sunday, that we uh, come before God with an openness in order to form our insides. 
And so sometimes uh, during that time, we're just really quiet. Uh, sometimes we do some stuff that we call spiritual exercises or spiritual practices. Uh, those are essentially just things that we do here that are like easily recreatable in your own house, in your own car, in your own place. Uh, practices are just uh, things that you do to, to practice, to practice what you say you believe. Uh, I gripe a lot that when I grew up in church, people talked a lot about Jesus and they talked about all this stuff we were supposed to do, but I feel like nobody really was like, and here's how you do it. And we're going to create space for you to try. And so we try uh, to do that out of my rebellious spirit. Uh, often it's just a space to linger in a question. Uh, and so that's what I want to do today. I have a question uh, for you uh, to consider. We're going to take a few minutes and just be quiet and sit in this question. Um, and it's this. What, uh, might, uh, what work of Christmas might the Spirit of God be inviting you into? Uh, as the Christmas decorations and lights, I said this, as they all come down, even at Hobby Lobby, I think they don't have Christmas stuff out right now. They're going to put it back up in two weeks, but this little break. As all of this stuff um, comes down, what would the work of Christmas look like in the places where you live? And what does the work of Christmas look like where you work? And what does the work of Christmas look like in your school? And what does the work of Christmas look like where you play? Uh, we're going to put some verses up from Psalm 72, and they're just a, like a blessing prayer from the Psalms that essentially is just blessing what we read in Isaiah, that God would do what he said he would do, that his light would shine all over the world, and that the world would feel the difference of it, that their, that their actual hardships would go away. Um, and so uh, follow along with those verses. If it's helpful, ignore it. If it's not helpful, uh, this is your time. Selah is always your time. Uh, uh, two more things on Selah. The first thing is, you might be here and you might not believe any of the stuff I'm talking about. And you're like, oh no, what do I do for these next few minutes? Um, here's the truth. The research says it. We need quiet moments in our lives. And so this is, again, Selah is whatever it needs to be for you. And so here is a quiet moment. Um, uh, when do you get those in the world? Um, and then the second thing is, um, during Selah, there is no pressure, I feel this a lot, uh, this does is, this is not come from God. There is no pressure from God to manufacture some sort of experience from God, um, some sort of like grand revelation. Like there is no pressure in this moment to manufacture any of those things. Um, I, I use the word practice. For me, Selah is practice. It is showing up, it's being quiet, and it's asking God to speak. And in my life, sometimes he does that. Like sometimes I will show up and because Selah, we can do this at our home. We don't just do it in this room. And I'll, I'll show up and I'll get quiet and I'll ask God to speak. And sometimes he speaks to me. And most of the time he doesn't. Most of the time I show up and I get quiet and I'm just with him. And that's what happens. And that's okay. So there's no pressure to manufacture anything. Um, we don't evaluate this time based on the grand revelation. We evaluate this time by, did we get quiet? Did we show up? Did we ask God to speak? great. Okay, so we'll take a few minutes um, and ask this question. What would it look like for you to do the work of Christmas in your actual life?